My name is Keith Beavers, and what I really loved about the 90s is that they're over. Okay, so Doc Martens are cool, but are we going to start burning CDs again? Like, what are we doing? What's going on, wine lovers? From the Vine Pair Podcast Network, this is Wine 101, and my name is Keith Beavers. I'm the tasting searcher of Vine Pair. And how you doing? So today we're talking about Beaujolais. I'm sure you've heard of it. You may have actually enjoyed it. You may know something called Beaujolais Nouveau. We'll get into it. But today's the day we're going to really understand Beaujolais. That rhymed. This episode's sponsor of Wine 101 is Talbot Vineyards, home of the legendary Sleepy Hollow Vineyard. Sounds mysterious, right? Sleepy Hollow is famous for producing acclaimed Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Okay, now this is where it gets weird. Every day the vineyard gets shrouded in cooling fog from the Pacific Ocean. But it's all good. The grapes ripen more slowly and end up packed with concentrated flavor and color. To try Talbot Vineyards wine, follow the link in the episode description to BarrelRoom.com. So I know that you guys have heard of Beaujolais because one of the most popular wines in America for a time was a wine called Beaujolais Nouveau. And if you don't know what that is, that's because this was a big deal in the 80s (laughs) and then it kind of fizzled out in all the 70s and the 80s and it kind of fizzled out in popularity in the 90s. So... If you don't know what Beaujolais Nouveau is, don't worry, we're going to get into it. But for those of you who do know what Beaujolais Nouveau is, you may not know about the entire region of Beaujolais. Because when Beaujolais Nouveau was marketed to us, that's all it was marketed to us as. An easy drinking red wine, get ready, this is going to be awesome, chill it down, yay. And the region itself, I don't know if it ever got the love it deserved. Because today... We're finally starting to see the entire region being celebrated in our market. So it's time to get nice with Beaujolais. Before we get started, I'm going to mention a process in this episode called carbonic maceration. And unfortunately, I won't be able to go into the details of it. But I did an episode on it in season 2.5, episode 15. So go ahead and give that a listen. Also, even though this wine region's close to or even considered sometimes part of the greater Burgundy area. I won't be getting into Burgundy, but if you want a good, well-rounded Burgundian brain knowledge, check out Season 1, Episode 17, and that'll get you started. So, okay, let's do this. South of the Burgundy region, there is a wine region called Beaujolais. This region south of Burgundy, has almost 400,000 acres of land under vine and is made up of about 100 communes. And because it is south of Burgundy, it also takes advantage of the hills of the central massif. It's just south of Burgundy. So it's doing the same thing. The topography is going to be different, but it's on that massif. And the thing is, When that massive, all the way in the southern part of France, there's a town called Marseille, a city called Marseille. From Marseille all the way up through that eastern part of the massive, going up through Burgundy, there was an old ancient Roman trading road. 
So wine and vines have been on this in this area for quite some time. Again, go ahead and listen to the uh, Burgundian episode. And of course, after the Romans came and went, there were vines there. So now we're in the Middle Ages. So of course, like a lot, like everything in Europe, enter the monks. The monks are there from the Middle Ages. They're actually starting to maintain vineyards, plant vineyards, cordon them and everything. And this is sort of the beginning of the monk thing. You know, there was, this is just south of Burgundy. So there was, Burgundy was right there. It was all happening at once. And throughout the Middle Ages, Beaujolais was considered a southern neighbor of Burgundy with all the dukes and stuff happening up there. And Beaujolais was actually a province that is sort of now in the southern Rhone department. But there is the town of Beijou, which is the capital of this province. So that's how the Beaujolais name is still around because of that landmark at this time. And prior to the 14th century, you had all different kinds of varieties being grown in this area. There was Guay Blanc, there was Pinot Noir, there was Chardonnay, there was Pinot Blanc, there was Pinot Gris, there was Gamay. But at the time, they called it Gamays. But if you listen to the Burgundy episode, you know that a lot of noble people loved Pinot Noir and eventually Chardonnay to the point that in the 14th century, towards the end of the 14th century, Philip the Bold, who was in charge at that time, put out an edict and get this, quote, a very bad and disloyal variety called Gamay's from which come abundant quantities of wine. And this of Gamay's is such a kind that it is very harmful to human creatures. So much so that many people who had it in the past were infested by serious diseases, as we've heard. Because said wine from said plant of said nature is full of significant and horrible bitterness. For this reason, we solemnly command you, all who have said vines, said gamets, to cut them down, to have them cut down, wherever they be, may be in our country, within five months. This is an OG, old school, misinformation campaign and such is the fate of the gamay variety in that this is the first time we see gamay in documentation so the first time this grape was ever documented is when a ruler said get it out of here because i tell you it's dangerous for you even though it's not and in doing this this, this would successfully eradicate Gamay from the Burgundy region. And as we've talked about over the past few seasons we've had here, grapes move all around. Gamay ended up going around and making its way, you know, east and into the Loire Valley and stuff. But before that, it made its way just south, just south in the neighboring province called Beaujolais. And I don't, I'm pretty sure Phil the Bull didn't know what he was doing, but what he did do in eradicating Gamay from Burgundy is he brought it to its actual spiritual home. So Gamay moves basically to the Beaujolais region. And the Beaujolais region at the time was, like I said, just south of Burgundy. So it was still taking advantage of the hills of the Central Massif, just a little bit south of the Burgundy region. So Beaujolais begins to establish itself as a region that grows and makes wine from the grape Gamay. And it's doing it somewhat in isolation until railways and canals are built, which, will, which inevitably builds a distribution market, which 
is then distributed to Paris. And when the Parisians get a taste of this wine, they kind of lose it. And demand becomes more and more. So that this little region just south of Burgundy starts to move south and expand all the way to the bustling town of Lyon. So now we have a wine region that goes from Macon, which is in the southern part of Burgundy, all the way to Lyon. And when you're in Lyon, you're getting basically into the Rhone. And this southern part of the region would eventually be called Basse Beaujolais, or Southern Beaujolais. And I say this because in the 19th century, um, the British wine explorer, Cyrus Redding, would write that the wines from the Beaujolais region are extremely refreshing and best to be consumed in their youth. So we're starting to get a sense of what Beaujolais is all about. Also, at the time, he mentions three communes in this northern part of the Beaujolais region, Saint-Amour, Moulin-Alvin, and Chenas. These will eventually become crews. We'll talk about that in a second. So in 1936, Beaujolais becomes an appellation when the French are creating their appellation system. But because of Parisian popularity and sort of based off of what Cyrus Redding was talking about, the refreshing early drinking red wines of Beaujolais, they become even more popular. And this popularity eventually morphs into a fad or a trend called Beaujolais Nouveau. And what that means is the wines that are made in Beaujolais often would go through what's called carbonic maceration. And that was a way of creating wine in its youth that had certain characteristics that added to its fresh, juicy nature. The Nouveau idea in wine is not new. Every wine region in Europe usually has some sort of new wine to celebrate the harvest, and that's really what this originally was. But there was a man by the name of Georges Dubuff who decided to market this. And by the 70s and the 80s, Beaujolais Nouveau was all the rage all over the world, especially in France, Paris, and absolutely the United States. For the French, it was a celebration of harvest. And for us, it kind of was in wine a celebration of the initiation of the holiday season, really. And so people would scramble to get these wines. Georges de Boeuf Beaujolais Nouveau was not complex. It was fruity and juicy and sweet. Um, smelled sometimes and tasted like bubblegum. But that and people put ice in it. People... It, it was a crazy fad that fizzled out almost completely by 1992. But because of the popularity of this, I keep on saying popularity, but because of the craze we had here of this wine, the entire region was, was really making wine with carbonic maceration. So even up in the northern part of Beaujolais, where the soils and the elevations were different, more variant, poorer soils, really great for Vitis vinifera vines, especially Gamay because it was born there. A lot There was people making wine in the traditional way, just like, you know, the way you make red wine. But a lot of them were making wine in the carbonic maceration process because of that need for the, the market, that need for that bubblegum, juicy fruit that people were drinking on. 
But the thing is, while all this popularity was happening and then fizzling out, the region was noticing that in the northern part of Beaujolais, I mean, for a long time, the northern part of Beaujolais, there were certain communes that were special with certain terroirs, certain climactic differences that gave Gamay unique characteristics. So by the late 80s and the early 90s, as Beaujolais Nouveau was fizzling out in popularity, the region was creating a cruise system. And today, we have that. And because the Beaujolais Nouveau idea fizzled out so early, back in the 90s, we're just now, in the past 10, 15 years, starting to enjoy a different kind of Beaujolais. A Beaujolais that was once, what was around before the whole Beaujolais Nouveau craze happened. A place that is doing is going further and further away from carbonic maceration and going further into regular traditional red wine making and even some barrel aging. What? So now we have a wine region that's dedicated primarily, I mean, there's some variations, but primarily to the Gamay variety. And now we have 10 communes in the northern part of Beaujolais that will give us different slight characteristical characteristical <laughs> characteristic styles of the Gamay variety. And even though these communes are more quote unquote, let's call them serious Gamay, it's undeniable that even within this sort of more serious commune crew system, that Beaujolais is always going to be somewhat light and refreshing. Jancis Robinson, the Jedi wine master, puts it really well. Quote, early drinking Beaujolais at its best provides a yardstick for all of the world's attempts to put red refreshment in a bottle. Being a wine that is essentially flirtatious with a juicy aroma, which combined with its promise of appetizing acidity is sufficient to release the gastric juices before even a mouthful of the wine has been drunk. Unquote. I mean, maybe rewind that and listen to it again. That just sums it up perfectly. Because Beaujolais Nouveau is still around, and actually some winemakers are doing it in a style that's a little more focused than Georges de Boeuf did on that mass market-ish. But even the most focused, small production Beaujolais is going to vibe like that. So this is how it's going to break down on the American market for all y'all out there, because it's time to start getting into Beaujolais, whether it's summer, whether it's spring. I mean, all four seasons, actually Beaujolais for Thanksgiving, forget about it. It's absolutely almost perfect. So this is how it breaks down. The thing is about half of wine made in the entire region is sold as just Beaujolais. And you're, you know, it's going to be inexpensive and it's going to be more towards that sort of Beaujolais Nouveau style, even though it may not be Beaujolais Nouveau, but it's, that usually comes from that flatter boss Beaujolais region. And it's not going to be very um, 100% representative of the other areas we're about to talk about. Okay, let's see if I can get all this in. Because the, the northern half of Beaujolais, this is the rockier, hillier, poor soils, diverse soil compositions from commune to commune. And from north to south in that 
upper half are 10 communes that are now Cruz. Saint-Amour, Julianas, Chenas, Fleury, Morgon, Reginet, Bruy, and Côte de Bruy. And each of these have their own special characteristics, like Saint-Amour in the extreme north actually does a little bit of Chardonnay. Then Julianas, which is just south of that, is they don't do Chardonnay, they only do Gamay, but this Gamay has some backbone to it, some good acidity because of those poor soils. Moulin Avant, which is one of the most famous of the 10 crews, one of the oldest areas that was recognized for awesome wine, actually has in the in the you know in the category of light red wines, it actually has more concentration and they actually have some heft to them, sometimes a little bit meaty, a little bit spicy. Fleury has lighter, more floral styles. There's actually a co-op there, so a lot of that wine comes from that crew onto our market. Then you have Morgon, which is one of the largest of the crews. And again, they have wines that are a little more dense. There's actually um, an area in that commune or that crew that has a certain kind of blue stone rock that is an ex-volcanic rock in the center of this crew, and it makes very special wine. It's called Cote de Pie, P-Y. The thing is, every crew has something special to offer. And wine lovers, this is a very exciting region for us to explore. I mean, you get to go to wine shops and try a wine from 10 crews. That's 10 Beaujolais. And you get to taste every single one and maybe either take mental notes or just put notes on paper just to kind of get a sense of why they're different from one another. Get a Fleury, taste it, enjoy it, like think about it. Then get a Morgon and go, oh my gosh, so different, but in the same wine region. And then you can even go within the communes and try producer to producer and they will also have slight differences. It's a beautiful, very cool region with very refreshing and sometimes not age where these wines don't age, just so you know. They're not going to age. I mean, some maybe 10 years, maybe, but that's maybe 15. But that's not, and that's fine. And there's a lot of winemakers in this part, in, in Beaujolais, they're trying to get to that point where they're going to take Gamay and they're trying to make it age and all that. But for us, for you to get involved <laughs> and to enjoy Beaujolais, all you got to do is go to those, go to a wine shop that you trust and start asking from crew to crew to crew and give them a try and see what happens. Okay, there was my crash course on Beaujolais. I, I really hope it got you guys excited to go out and get some of these wines because they're really, really awesome. And as always, if you dig them, take a shot. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Let me know. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. J. Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. 
Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide range of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. I mean, Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but you know, this is a wine podcast. So whether you're new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. We look forward to serving you enjoyment in moments that matter. Cheers. Visit BarrelRoom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.